Fixing the System. I'm your host, Rosemary Kennedy, and today we are going to be talking about the education system, a system that definitely needs fixing. Recently, I watched an extremely eye-opening documentary about the American public education system called Waiting for Superman. This documentary uncovered the many unjust flaws in the American education system and made me wonder, how does Canada compare? Waiting for Superman follows several families as they attempt to enroll their children into high-performing charter schools in order to give them a chance in higher education. Throughout the documentary, different aspects of the American public education system are examined. For example, the issues of tenure, uh, teaching standards, and teachers' unions. With a less than satisfactory public education system, many families try to enroll their children into these free charter schools. However, many charter schools are not large enough to accept all of their applicants, and so the selection of students is done by lottery. Watching Waiting for Superman was really an eye-opening experience for me. Although I already knew that the American education system definitely has its flaws, I didn't realize how big of an issue this was. One of these issues being bad teachers. So the documentary explains that a bad teacher only covers about 50% of the school and grade curriculum, whereas a good teacher will cover 150% and is around three times better. This is huge because we all know that Teachers, they're in charge of students' educations. They're the ones who are teaching the students. That's the title of their role. If you have a bad teacher, you're not going to be able to learn. And so this documentary really just shows how important it is to have a good teacher. Another issue that it covers is the issue of firing teachers and tenure in the United States. So in the United States, it's really, really difficult to fire a teacher uh, because they collect tenure very quickly. They don't have to have any high performance, any test to show their skills or their competencies. They just automatically receive tenure, which means they can't get fired. This, along with the unions, makes it really, really hard to get rid of an incompetent teacher. The documentary, one of the most um, interesting things that I found was the analogy of the dance of the lemons. So how this works is at the end of the year, principals from all the schools, they take their lemons, which would be their bad teachers, and they pass them around. One, te- one principal gives another principal their lemons, and the other principal gives another principal their lemons. And they're just passing it around in hopes that by the end of the dance, they will end up with lemons where they can at least make lemonade. So they're hoping to end up with better lemons than they had before. And this just really shows the issue of not being able to fire teachers because principals shouldn't have to pass around these lemons. These lemons should be properly trained or, or fired if they're just not good teachers. The rubber room is also something that is mentioned in the documentary. And this is where tenured teachers in New York City who get in, into trouble, who are uh, failing at their job or have committed a crime potentially, Um, They get full salary and full benefits, and they spend an average of three years sitting in these buildings playing cards, doing nothing, and just collecting their salary. And it's about 600 teachers usually. And these hearings for these teachers can last 
up to eight times longer than the average criminal case. The documentary also discusses something called dropout factories. So there are about 2,000 dropout factories in the U.S., and these are schools where there's a higher percentage of dropouts than uh, graduates. One example that's given is Locke High School, which loses about 800 kids between grade 9 and 10, and out of the 60,000 people that have gone to that school, 40,000 haven't graduated. So the last, and I would say the main issue that's discussed in the documentary about the American education system, would be the government. And this is pretty obvious since the government created the system. They make the system, they enforce it. Uh, the documentary talks about things like how states fund schools themselves and they set their own conflicting standards. So in one state, you might fail a literacy test but take the literacy tests in another state and you're going to excel. They also talk about how there's 14,000 different school boards, which just really adds to that confusion and that confliction. And then just explain the system and how the city gives the central offices money to give to the schools. So the schools themselves aren't really given um, much freedom and they aren't really given that money to allocate it where they need to. It's the, the central office, which oftentimes is out of touch with the schools and the system and what it really needs. And then lastly, just a few other uh, things that this documentary touched was um, lower tracks, so uh, streaming students and how they can easily fall behind and overcrowded schools, as well as the test achievement and the achievement gap between um, upper class and lower class uh, students. So one of the example of how the system is really feeling students is one of the children in the documentary named Daisy. So Daisy's goal is to become a veterinarian or a uh, doctor or surgeon. So she wants to go to medical school. However, her pathway starts with grade eight algebra, but only 13% of middle, middle school students at her school will be proficient in math. So this right from the beginning, right from eighth grade in middle school is setting her up for failure and is setting her up to really struggle to get into medical school and have the career that she dreams of. Canada compare? We've looked at the American education system, we've looked at the documentary, but now it's time to take a closer look into Canada and the education system we have here. So just from the beginning, the basic format of, the, of education in Canada would be pre-elementary or slash kindergarten, uh, then you have primary school or elementary school, and then you have secondary school, which can either be junior high or just regular high school. Legally, students have to attend school until they're 16. There are English and French schools in Canada, and um, education is once again a provincial responsibility, just like in the United States. Okay, so the first thing I wanted to compare was uh, the both these governments' ability to fire teacher as well as their rate of having bad teachers. So a 2010 federal report into the number of federal employees who get fired each year in Canada showed that over a 10-year period, an average of 127 employees were actually fired out of at least 250,000. And this is of all government employees, anybody employed by the government. 
So just like the United States, Canada really struggles with the ability to fire teachers. With our union, having that government job really is stereotyped and it's known to just, you're, you're in for life. No matter what you do, it's really hard to get fired, just like in the United States, which creates that issue of having a lot of bad teachers or teachers who shouldn't be teaching but can't really get fired. Streaming is also an issue that Canada struggles with, just like the U.S. Here in Ontario, we have Applied Academic as two high school streams, as well as um, locally developed or workplace um, levels in high school. And although from a outside perspective, it might seem like a great idea to uh, stream students because not everybody is going to succeed in the same environment with the same curriculum. However, systemically, the way that streaming has been built, it really uh, puts certain groups of students at a disadvantage and applied students are likely to um, not succeed compared to academic students. So specifically looking at the statistics, the PISA um, test and the results show that Canada was 6th in reading, 12th in math, and 8th in science of the um, countries that participated in the test. So all these meeting the expectations at a level 3, right in the middle, meeting the standards. However, there definitely are some provinces specifically that are struggling, which I'll get into later. And the US, on the other hand, meets the reading and science um, expectations lower than Canada, definitely, but they did not actually meet the math standards. So the Canadian statistics really show that Canada is doing pretty well, we have a good system, going for us, but we also do have some, definitely have some room to improve. And lastly, something to compare uh, from the US to Canada is dropout rates. So a lot of schools in the US have a really high dropout rate, like I was uh, mentioning before. In Canada, our dropout rate has gone down significantly. We're, we're doing okay. We In 2007, we had a 9% dropout rate, but in previous years, it had been going down from then. So it definitely has gone down. Since 2007, it's just harder to find those statistics. Okay, so now I want to take a closer look into the Ontario education system specifically and how we compare to other provinces in Canada. So to start off, um, let's talk about EQAO, your classic standardized test in Ontario to test students' um, success and academics. So for several years, EQAO has highlighted the achievement gap between students in the applied and academic streams and courses. So in the OSSLT, you can see that 80% were successful. However, looking specifically at the applied level, more students actually failed than passed. In terms of math, you have pretty average um, score between grade three to six, not too great especially in grade six with um, math, less than half, only 48% met the expectations of the math curriculum in the test in EQAO. In grade nine, results are pretty stable with 84% meeting the standard in the academic level, but only 44% of those enrolled in applied math um, actually ended up passing. And 
so now to compare. So looking at the PISA test, Ontario met and was equal to the 2018 average. For the most part, there was a few times where we were a little bit above, occasionally a little bit below, but for the most part, average or above. Alberta, however, was a bit better um, in a lot of different categories, and Quebec as well. So in Ontario, most students are at about a level three or four in reading, which is good, it meets the standard, um, as level three is the standard. New Brunswick, however, is um, actually performing the worst in reading. And then for science, once again, level three and four, and same with math in Ontario. The worst for science was Manitoba, and the worst for math was Manitoba and New Brunswick. So what does this mean? So Ontario is doing pretty well. It's average, it's at the top um, compared to some other provinces, um, but there's definitely some room for improvement. We have a good, we have an average of a level three, um, so that's what really makes us, you know, the same, the Canadian average of a level three, but our higher rates of level five and six, which are way are above average, is what makes us stand out a little bit, which is pretty good. So from an outward perspective, we're doing okay. However, majority of students are at the average, not really above, not really below. the basics of the Canadian education system, the American education system, and the Ontario education system, I want to go through a few questions. So the first one is, is there a decrease in education? And if there is, who is to blame for this decrease? So when I first think of this, my, my answer would be yes and no. I don't really see a huge decrease, but I also don't see a huge improvement. I, I feel that we've kind of flatlined. We, we, we're stuck where we are. COVID obviously is, you know, definitely making a huge difference in the system and just education in general. But what I really find is that it just depends on the government. So in Ontario, we, um, our premier, Doug Ford, is conservative and his government and our minister of education is known to make a lot of cuts, which can really um, make teachers and students struggle in the education system. However, as a whole, I find that we are in Canada starting to become more aware of different learning profiles, trying to fix the inequities. So understanding more about special education and other exceptionalities, as well as other barriers in education that might be seen through culture or gender or other different things. However, we definitely have a long way to go especially when it comes to things like special education and racial equality. So the PISA reading scores actually show that there was a decrease from 2000 to 2018. So this does give a little hint, a little insight that maybe we are actually decreasing um, in Canada in terms of education. From a personal perspective as a student, I feel like people just aren't doing enough education system seems fine, you know, we're at the average, so there's no need to make any improvements. But what people don't see is the only reason we're at the average is because we have these high performing students who are masking the low performing students who are really struggling in the system. So I would say that a decrease in the education system would really just be caused by the government, as they are the ones who create the system, they enforce it, and they change it throughout their, their time in office. 
So the next question that I want to cover is, should we blame teachers for a decrease in education? Is it their fault? And should we be able to fire them? So overall, I think that bad teachers do cause bad education in students. However, the bad teachers are caused by a bad system. So we can't blame the teachers. We have to blame the system. We have to look at teachers' college and look at the standards and the qualifications and how hard it is to become a teacher and the um, education that these teachers are receiving. Uh, I think that teachers should be able to be fired, definitely. I think one thing that really stuck out in the documentary was that teaching is a privilege. Teachers have the privilege to teach these students because they're influencing them and really watching them grow and develop. And so it's not a right to be a teacher. And therefore, I think that teachers should be able to be fired if they're not performing well or if they're... um, you know, negatively impacting their students' education. And so I think to fix this, what we really need is better teachers' college, like I said before. I think one thing especially is that teachers need to be trained more on special education and learn so much more about exceptionalities because there's going to be students in their classes who have specific learning requirements. And if they're not learning how to accommodate for these in teachers' college, they're not going to be equipped when these students are in their classes. So the next thing I want to talk about is streaming. Putting students on a pathway, whether it be academic, applied, locally developed, and what are the consequences or what are the pros of this? And do I think that applied or college stream students have lower expectations in the classroom? So overall, I would say the idea of streaming is great. It makes total sense. Not all students are going to be successful in the same environment. However, there are so many inequities and a lot of discrimination in society that makes streaming not so effective. Also, I feel that students are being asked to choose their pathway at way too young of an age. Grade 8s, 13-year-olds are being asked to decide which pathway they want to be on for the rest of their lives. And this just isn't reasonable because, you know, students, they grow and they change from grade 8 throughout high school. And... A student who picks applied, for example, in grade 8 might decide in grade 11 that they want to go to university, but they they can't. They're, the path is closed. And going back to the EQAO scores and looking into that, you can see once again that um, students in the applied streams are not succeeding um, to, at the same rate of academic students in these tests. And I think this just really shows that there is a lower expectation for applied students because it has become normalized in our education system that applied students should not succeed, which is absolutely not the case. Enrolling in applied does not mean the student should not succeed. It just means that the student is succeeding in a different environment and that's what should be happening. So what I would say is the main issue with uh, streaming is the inequities and the discrimination that can be seen in the school system. So for example, students from low income groups are much more likely to enroll in applied courses. As well as the Toronto District School Board reports that only 40% of students who took applied courses in grade nine have graduated after five years. And as well as that a number of black students are being streamed into applied when they shouldn't be put into applied. And the only way to fix this is to de-stream, fix the inequities, and then we can put the streaming back. 
having these black students being disproportionately placed into the applied stream is setting them up for failure. And that's not to say that the applied stream um, equals failure. Like I mentioned before, you're supposed to be able to succeed in any of these streams. However, there are black students who can succeed in the academic stream and want to be there and want to go to university and want to have careers that require a higher level of education. However, they're being, their pathway is being shut from the early age of 13 in grade eight. And so the only way to fix this is to de-stream. We need to remove the streaming, especially for grade nine and 10, fix these inequities, look deeper into our system and really analyze what these issues are. And then we can start to work to put this streaming back in. So now I want to talk on a little bit more of a personal note. What has my experience been in high school? What has the experience of my peers been like? And what are some of the issues that I see within the system? And what recommendations might I make? So as a student uh, with ADHD and a learning disability, I, I look at these standardized tests that um, I analyzed before, for example, PISA, in a different light because it makes me wonder, are these tests even fair? Because we know that standardized testing is not built for everybody. We know that not all students can succeed in standardized testing, and that doesn't mean these students are not smart. It means that they need another form of assessment to be successful. And so looking at these scores, seeing, oh, Canada's a level three, makes me wonder, what does that even mean? Because not some student might do not poorly on this on this test, but be a really academic and bright student. One issue that I have found within our education system is the stereotypes of applied versus academic students or college versus university students. It seems that um, within our society, applied the applied levels and applied level students are seen as less than or not capable when really this isn't the case. It's just a different type of learning. It's a different way to learn the same information. Having a brother with autism also makes me look at the education system through a different lens, looking into contained classrooms, which is something that I still question and I still don't really have um, a formal opinion on yet. Because on one hand, I think you know, it would be it would be good to um, have contained classes so that these students can, with exceptionalities, can learn and really be immersed into this environment and get one-on-one -on -one support. But at the same time, they're very isolating. And why does a student have to be isolated from the rest of the school just to gain an education? So I think my main recommendations would be to once again, de-stream, take out streaming, start from scratch, build it back up. I think really having a focus and understanding the different types of learners and the different types of students and understanding that standardized testing is not a fair measurement of success for all students. And I think that's something that the government and the education system really needs to take into account in making a more equitable environment where all students can succeed. On that more personal note, I do think that schools are changing with the times. 
but very slowly, at a much slower rate than the way society is advancing. I think many people look at the, at the education system as something that just, you know, it's fine the way it is, it's not the best, it's average, and it would be way too much work to fix it, so let's just leave it. When really, we should be looking at the, the issues within our system with a growth mindset and finding ways that we can slowly and, and positively enforce a change in the system to make it more equitable for everybody. All right, so now before I wrap up this episode, I wanna talk a little bit about um, what really stood out to me in my research and watching this documentary and also what we can do as a society to move forward. What are our next steps? So one thing that really stood out uh, to me in this documentary is um, the concept that, you know, in the past, we used to blame failing schools on failing neighborhoods. But what we really realized is that failing neighborhoods are caused by failing schools. And it really shows how important school is for our progression and success as a society. And it really shows the importance and why we should be prioritizing education. The documentary also explains um, how the education system was created and how 20% of students in high schools were supposed to go to skilled jobs, 20% were supposed to go to college, and the bottom 60% of were supposed to become workers in the United States. And this worked perfectly for the way society was. At the time, you needed, the majority of people needed to be um, workers, you needed a small portion of people in skilled jobs and a small portion of people going to college. However, our world has changed and now university and or college having a degree is almost essential in order to succeed but our schools haven't changed with the times because it's still producing these rates in the united states where most students aren't graduating with the ability to go to university and another thing that really stood out to me was how the unemployment rate in the united states at the time was 10 percent but the high-tech high companies couldn't find people to fill their jobs and they were having to recruit people from other countries. And as, as Bill Gates says in the documentary, we can't sustain an economy in innovation without having educated students. We need to prioritize education so that we can continue to be innovative and develop new things and progress society. much for listening to today's episode of fixing the system before i finish off this episode i want to leave you with a quote and that is the purpose of education is to turn mirrors into windows by sydney j harris so we know that the ed uh, education is important it broadens our worldview it turns our small perception our little mirrored world into windows windows where we can see all the diverse viewpoints and perspectives of the world around us this allows us to truly progress as a society, continue our innovation, and create a world of empathy and compassion. We know that Superman isn't going to appear and turn our mirrors into windows right away, and so we need to take that initiative ourselves. If we continue to work together to prioritize education and fix the system, these, these windows will appear. 
All right, that's all I have to say for today's episode. Take care, everyone. Thank you.